Alright you guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. I'm of course the Little Man, Little James, aka the Flash Man. Without further ado, here's part two. So you have the, the the supportive group then at that point to say, yeah, this is this is all gonna be okay, this is normal. They they give you the confidence boost to a certain extent, or the professional confidence boost to a certain extent to go out there and and experience burlesque coming off stage that first time to after doing a burlesque act because we spoke about it earlier about bottling up that feeling and that sensation that you want to sort of share with people because it is as it is a feeling like none other what was that vibe like compared to say doing the acts of ballet and tap and and swing and everything else that you'd experience and being a teacher to now have your first burlesque performance and coming off stage from that do you remember what that sensation was like it was so liberating yeah that would have been the first time I'd been on stage in that less amount of clothing. Like okay. I, I was a bundle of nerves leading up to it. Like I knew what was going on. I knew all the movements and how to present and all of that. Like that doesn't go away. Yeah. Especially when you've done it for so many years. Sure. Yeah. But like taking most of your kid off on a stage, that was something that was like way past my comfort barrier at the time. And, you know, I did it and then I felt so liberated and so pumped and so much adrenaline that I was like, when do we get to do this again? <laughs> right. So you were hooked straight away. Yep. Hooked, line and sinker. Um, right. I think I did another term after that, which was like a fun little tap term um, that BB taught. And the following term, I started teaching in her burlesque school. It's teaching tap? I taught tap. Originally, I was just wanting to teach tap. Um, you know, a couple of the swing dancing girls and boys had asked if I could teach some tap stuff. Um, I didn't really know how to go about insurances and hall bookings and stuff like that. And I was still really new to Brisbane at the time. Um, and I remember saying to Bibi, I'm like, hey, how, do, how would I do this thing? And she's like, oh, do you just want to teach under me? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do the thing. Um, and you know, I ended up by taking on beginner burlesque as well as teaching tap, so on and so forth. I was there for I think about eighteen months. I taught at BB's. Um, right. So yeah, that like literally was my foothold for my beginning of my burlesque journey. Okay, so you start you start getting the experiences there. You're hooked straight away, and you stayed there for eighteen months. You start teaching tap as well. What happens after the 18 month then? Do you, do you develop new acts in that process? Do you go on stage and do more burlesque or was that sort of the first experience and then there was a bit of interlude in between or were you active doing burlesque yeah, stuff? No, as soon as I had done the first group thing, I was like, cool, I want to like, I want to learn more and I want to do more and how do I get to do a solo? I was like straight down the tunnel of burlesque. It was great. Um, I loved everything about it. I really enjoyed that there wasn't, I, the way it was always presented to me was like, you could do anything you wanted to do. Like right. there was no, there was no barriers. You can choose your own way of presenting what you want to present on the stage. And being given that before I grew up learning things and doing classical dance training. And whilst you could come up with visions and this, that, the other, like doing competitions as a kid, <laughs> Um, on like a professional level because you're competing every weekend and, you know, going up against a lot of kids. Um, mm. It was very structured and, you know, you had to make sure you had this and this and this in there because, you know, you want to show off your skills that are advanced for your 
your level and things like that. Whereas burlesque, like you literally can create a crap character or a vibe or a theme and be who you want to be on that stage for however long your routine is. And you can take your audience on the journey that you want to take your audience on. And it's all about you and all about what you want to do with that time. What was the first act that you remember being able to say, Hey, so I've given the opportunity here to create my first act. Was it the Tinkerbell one? Or there no, was there another act before I that? There was a lot of acts before the Tinkerbell ones. What was the first act you were able to get your hands on, create the costume, create the story, and create the, the vibe? The first for? solo that I ever did yeah. um, was a tap number, surprise, surprise, yeah. <laughs> um, to an Andrew Sisters track um, called Demir Mr. Shen. And okay. it, was, it was more dancey than it was teasy, um, but that was me, and I still do cram a lot of movement into a lot of my routines um but that's obviously my vibe so <laughs> yeah. um yeah so that one was yeah a lot more tapping and a lot less teasy but I did the whole thing from scratch and my mom actually helped me do some of the choreo or let me bounce things off her and I'll never forget the day where I was trying to show my mom and she still didn't know what burlesque was she hadn't seen a show Oh, really? And really wanted to come support me because she thought it was great that I was getting back into dancing again. Mm-hmm. But she didn't know what burlesque was. And it doesn't matter how you try and explain it to somebody <laughs> until they see it. Yeah. They don't quite get it. And, yeah. you know, mom's, mom's like a little bit prudish, but she's, you know, she's come around in the end. She's has had many of us uh, having pants off parties in the backyard and stuff. So <laughs> she's seen it all now. But at this very moment in time, she had no idea what was going on and I still remember showing her this thing and I'm like and now I don't know what to do and she's like we've been doing a bit of dancing here isn't it time to like I don't know do something teasy and take something off right so she was very hands-on creatively yeah so she she helped me choreograph my first solo came supported it absolutely loved it um contrary to what she thought she was gonna hate it and yeah that was 20, 2015. Wow. So 2015, you have that act. You're, the family's been real supportive of it. They come and see your first act. You you end up staying there for, what was it, 16 months, 18 months? Yeah, somewhere around there. Right, okay. So what happens after 18 months then? Do you, do you decide that you suck in that entrepreneurial tick, that entrepreneurial bug going, hey, I want to I wanna do my own thing? Or Yeah, I kind of wanted to explore – myself and what I was putting on the stage more Mm -hmm. um by this stage I had started producing some shows Mm -hmm. um and I kind of like at the time I wasn't quite ready to keep going on that loop of teaching a different class all the time um or you know more than one class each term and coming up with a new solo each term I wasn't actually putting what I felt was enough thought into what I was presenting on stage for myself. Okay. So I took some time out, worked on, worked on performing in other shows and not teaching and just being creative for myself and, you know, designing and making costumes and all of that and connecting with other people, not just in a classroom or at an end of term show. Like I started to travel a bit more. So I got gigs down in Melbourne and, met some really crazy and wonderful people that I'm still very close with now and yeah like it was a different experience when you started doing it that way but I also miss teaching my tap my tap guys so 
I ended up by teaching like a random weekly tap class that was just like a catch up and jam tap class. So mm-hmm. we do something different each week um, or work on like particular tricks that the, the crew wanted to work on. Um, and, you know, like after doing that for a little, I think it was about a year or so, um, I, I missed teaching other things and I had all these ideas that I wanted to get out and I felt like I had accomplished more in my own solo stuff and I was ready to, to start teaching burlesque again. So I had this crazy idea of opening a school for myself and a couple of other people that I was close to. We collaborated and opened up the Vaudeville Consortium. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's been a really, a really great experience and something that I was so focused on was building um, a really great community in the school for people to enjoy, which is what I loved when I walked into my first class was just how welcoming everybody was. And, you know, like you didn't feel like you were stupid for asking what the fuck's a pasty or mm. how do I stick them on or anything like that. Like they became your belly fam. Yeah. And I really wanted the whole school to be like that and have really started focusing on, you know, making sure that community is always there at the utmost. Um, and, you know, hey, it's great if you want to go off and you want to do this and this and this and you're really excelling at that. And, you know, we're really happy to be a part of that. Um, but at the end of the day, if you just want to come and be a part of a community and have fun, and become more confident about yourself, then it's there for you there as well. Like, there's no pressure. Yeah, it, it is um, it, it is very much uh, like a extended sisterhood. There There is a lot of friendly people there. I know that for the time that I was uh, seeing the shows and I met a lot of you girls, you guys were nothing but nice and welcoming. And, and that's the kind of thing that really, I guess, helps people take that first initial step into doing something creative, whether it be burlesque, whether it be wrestling, whether it be something ever creative is that they want to have that sense of family. And when they find that and they find that, Oh, it's not as daunting as what I thought it would be. Everyone here is super supportive and it kind of makes me want to do it even more. That's when, you know, you're sort of into something where you go, this might be for me because there isn't anything that I can see that's bad because everyone here wants me to succeed just as much as they do collectively. Exactly. So before I ask you about your, your school that you're running now, I have to take a step back here and, and go back to your first performance because I'm, I, I've told it on different episodes of this podcast, how my stage name came about, how I, how that name was generated for me, but Scarlet Tinkerbell how did that name come about for you? Was that something that you had created or was that given to you or what was the process for that? It stemmed off a nickname from many, 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 many years ago. Okay. So like, I think I was about 23, 22, 23, somewhere around there. I was recently single. Like I was settling down with the guy that I separated from. And I was at the bar, like the local pub, nearly every night of the week I worked in liquor as well during the day um at this particular moment in time and so like I drank a lot had really good mates at the pub and if I knew everybody at the local so this like the boardwalk tavern down at Hope Island on the Gold Coast and so like if I didn't know someone that walked through the door we'd end up by having a drink we know each other by the end of the night 
and um it was just it was just that type of pop like everyone knew everyone and you know I really connected with some of the older guys we'd go drink beer out on the on the deck there and they'd talk about their boats and their life experiences um and there's a really talented musician that played the piano in the front bar every Friday and Saturday um kind of like an Elton John type character anyway getting to the point we'd get blind rotten drunk all the time particularly on the weekends and one night my good mate shorty goes let's go have some shots and I'm like all right do you want a strong or a tasty shot I'm like I want strong and tasty why the fuck do I have to choose so they made us these green shots we had no idea what was in them Mm. did the shots and we're like they're perfect they they really hit you in the face though so we dubbed them the little green fairies piano man comes in after his shift and comes to the bar and we're like you've got to try these shots they're pretty great and by the stage we'd had several of these shots mm-hmm. so he has them and he's like these are like your perfect shot because you're literally you're like a little dancer he's like you're just like a little fairy it's like you're tinkerbell and so i got nicknamed <laughs> tink okay from this drinking experience and these little green fairy shots that then became our drink of choice when mm-hmm. we were drinking yeah um i haven't had one for quite a while now but i imagine they still would plant me on my ass <laughs> Years later, when I went into the, the pinup world, I needed a stage name. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, well, like, my nickname's been Tink for a while. Like, not commonly used, but by my drinking friends. Yeah. Why don't I use that? It kind of fits. I'm little. I'm, you know, used to be a dancer. So I guess I still kind of am in some way. Um, but what the fuck do I use as a first name? At this stage in life, I'd only ever had black or red hair. Right. Okay. Very different. Yeah. So I went with Scarlet because A, it was, you know, something that was like, had a vintage aesthetic to it, but it was kind of like a little bit raunchy and it was also my favorite shade of red. Right. So we just went with Scarlet and it stuck and chucked them together and away we went. (laughs) And it's been the name ever since. It has, but it's also why a lot of people just call me Tink because that's been my nickname for far longer than what my stage name has been my stage name. See, see, situations like that with those stories, it's so – I loved. I love origin stories. I, I think they're sometimes the most unique and creative experiences that you can sort of generate from having shots at a bar to getting Tinkerbell because I wish my name was given as creative a process as that. My name – no, <laughs> my name was not shots at a bar and having red hair as much as I wish it would be. My name was my name was given because I did a dance off in the ring of my first ever wrestling show that my friend was debuting on. I wasn't even wrestling at that point. I just needed kids in the ring. I did a dance off, had this had this big, gigantic, oversized hoodie. And if you zipped it up, it would have a monkey in a flash suit on the front and the flash lightning bolt logo on the back. And I zipped it all the way up. You couldn't see my face. It was just this weird 12-year-old looking kid in this ring doing the Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. And I then decided a couple of days later to go to training with my friends. And I wore the jacket. And I went in to see the owner. And my friend said, hi, this is my mate. Um, he wants to sign up. And I was wearing the jacket. And I said, hello, like, you know, full, ha- full proud of myself. And he spins around his chair, takes his glasses off and goes, oh, yeah, the fucking dancer. <laughs> and I went, eh. And I... I had my first training session and I had to come up with a name. And he goes, do you have a name of what you want to be called? And I said, well, Flash is something that I want to be called because I 
had the jumper and he's one of my favorite heroes. And a few of the other wrestlers said, no, no, we've already had a Flash down here. And I went, damn. And the promoter said, what about Flash Man? And I was like, okay. And he goes, yep, that's it. Flash Man, that's your name. And yeah, that's still my name. So not as interesting as having shots with Piano. But it's still got a fun story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was fun for people that listened to it. It wasn't so fun to be sort of <laughs> completely crushed by oh, yeah, the Neither fucking Neither with a hangover from the little green fairy shots, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. No, I don't I don't envy that part of your story. But, <laughs> um, so that was how your name came about. When we get to Vaudeville Consortium, that's a name that kind of rolls off the tongue, but it is something that you go, where did that come from? So again, with the name process, where did mm, name generator... Dance school, no. Ballet, <laughs> ballet session, no. Floor work, no. It's like it's it's a it's an extravagant name. Was that was that a creative process with, with multiple people, or was this something that was generated from situations? It was it was something that I chose for the okay. school, and like I can't even remember. There was maybe like three names that I came up with, but that one was the pick for me and what I lent to the most. But I wanted something that like was a collective of teachers because our, our school's structured a little bit differently in the way we admin um, with the teachers and how they get paid and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want it to be more about like a brand and it's all brand, 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 and the teachers are just there as part of that brand. Mm-hmm. I want it to be a collective of people teaching and passing on their intellectual property in whatever skill set that they are tra- that they are trained in to share with people, like whatever their, their niche is. Um, or weird and wonderful skill set. Um, so it means like we, we do end up with some rotating teachers that, you know, like someone doesn't want to learn fire six days a week. So I won't teach fire that often. I'll teach it, you know, sporadically here and there. And, you know, other teachers are much the same. Like it's not a skill set that they want to teach day in, day out, because it's not something that should be taught day in, day out, unless you're going down that professional performance line. It's not just a thing that you go and do for shits and giggles. Mm. So that was like, I wanted it to be something to do with a collective. Okay. And then I wanted it to be something to do with variety. Do you Mm. see where I'm going? So I then was playing with words that meant collective or lo and behold, came up with consortium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then vaudeville is essentially a variety. It's exactly what vaudeville means. So, yeah. And I really liked how it sounded. So the Vaudeville Consortium, it sounded, you know, something different. It wasn't just burlesque school or dance school. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I think, like, the schools that were at the forefront and really peddled the early days of the ways in the areas, they're the ones that have burlesque and burlesque and variety school. And it was to make them so much different from you know, the dance schools or the this school or the that school or, you know, aerials or pole. Like they were very at the time, and I'm only assuming because I wasn't around during the days those names got selected, mm-hmm. but I'm assuming that that was the the differential word so that, you know, people knew what type of school they were going to. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, we teach all sorts of things. We've got a teacher teaching how to manipulate bubbles that you can blow at the moment. Um, so, you know, another creative outlet and it's nothing to do with burlesque, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, a skill that you can learn, you can present it on a stage and it blends really nicely with burlesque and variety. 
Yeah. Is um, that so, Painproof yeah. Pixie doing the bubbles? Yeah, it is Painproof Pixie, yeah. a.k.a. Adora Bubbles when she's playing with bubbles. Adora Bubbles, nice. Yeah, uh, I know. It is absolutely adorable. Uh, wait a minute. Before I continue, there was something there that I do want to ask you about. Did, did you say fire? I did say fire. No, no. Okay. I can't have a tagline of Brisbane's Fiery Fairy without the fire, right? Right. And it, and this isn't, for people out there, this isn't, oh, I'm wearing red hair and I come out in a flame dress. No, no, no. We're talking real flames here. Yeah, I think I skipped over that part. Okay, so I want to <laughs> dig up that part because that's not... Okay, girls, make all you do stretches, put your shoes on, and classical music in three, two, one, da 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 and tap, 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 and here comes Burles taking everything off. Oh, wait, now I'm interested in igniting myself. Now, where, <laughs> where does the mind go where you're exposed to that imagery and you went, I want to do that? So it was when I was teaching at BB's, actually, Frankie May Fallon came in. Mm-hmm. and did a beginner's course in fire and learning how to eat it. I'd as, seen as Frankie perform before, and yeah. I was very fascinated. And um, anyone that has seen me perform knows I really like fusing things that don't belong together. Mm-hmm. Like tap and burlesque isn't usually a thing. Um, yeah. And, like, yeah, like I, I like putting things that don't necessarily belong together together, like yeah. rock and showgirls. Mm-hmm rock music yeah. with showgirls like that's that's my jam yeah and so yeah like i would seen her perform it and I was intrigued and you know it was one of those things of hey I'll give it a go um didn't think that it would be a thing that I fell into a rabbit warren of um but it was an experience that I wanted to have and you know I I really enjoyed working with Frankie at shows and her bubbly personality so I thought, great, I'll go and learn off Frankie. You know, I, I already vibe with her. It's going to be a fun experience, even if I don't eat the file. And, um, yeah, like like a moth to a flame, I was hooked. It took me quite a while before I put uh, fire into an act and put it on stage. But I'm so glad that I persevered and I did. And just keep, like, even even today, like, I'm still learning new things and learning how to manipulate it in a different way. I think it was from you. I think uh, I had heard through the grapevine, through other burlesque girls, that you had started practicing with fire. And then I remember, I think I came to your house one time and I'd met your mom, who we spoke of in this podcast, and we had the we had the shots, the fruit tinkle shots. And I remember there was a talk there of either you had just started to or you were looking to debut a fire act. And I went, this sounds insane in the best way possible. Like it sounds from what you were pitching, what you were like explaining it to be, I went, because my experience of fire at that stage was, you know, people on the beach twirling a fire stick around and you go, yeah, it's impressive, but it's not, it, it wasn't what you were leading to. You, you were saying that's how it, the act started to a similar extent, but then you're like, oh, and then I light my entire arm up and then I light my leg up and then I swallow the flame and spit it out and the stick catches it and it ignites again. And you go, I'm sorry. I, you lost me at the part where your arm is on fire. Like, what is happening here? Because this is, this is, sounds like a workplace health and safety issue. <laughs> like, I think, I think the act that you're talking about is my dragon. Right. I think I've had a couple of throwaway ones in there before, but yeah, like my fir- my fourth solid fire act that I offer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I debuted. When did I debut that? For creature-esque curves and claws. 
Okay. But I'd been working on it for a while and I'd been working on different apparatuses that I could put into a burlesque number rather than just having the one of them. But yeah, like it was something that I was like, I instead of looking at it as a I'm going to go out there and have my moment with the flame because performing with fire is a little bit different. I feel like you're not as focused on connecting with the audience. This sounds really weird, but you're not as focused on connecting with the audience because you have to keep your eyes and wits about the flame for obvious reasons. It's dangerous. But I feel like the audience gets drawn into your connection with the flame. It is one of those acts that are kind of okay to have that invisible glass wall between because it is very much a performance act in the sense of uh, much like Cirque du Soleil and much like, uh, you know, a gymnastic routine or even a karate demonstration where the act is in solely the performance because you're demonstrating an additional physical skill to what's happening. Mm. Um, and the story isn't the story isn't so much about what the character was going through in that sense. It is very much uh, the character's evolution in that performance is sort of evolving from uh, arguably simplistic flame tricks, if any, but simplistic flame tricks at the beginning to then full bore dragon-esque like flame expulsions and routines towards the end where it's like the flame is sort of the evolution. You're you're not so much the star as, as, as much as the flame is. The flame is sort of like leading you and you're evolving to match the flame. Well, that, I mean, that's how I, at least I watch it as a fan. I go... Yeah, I'm kind of glad she's not interacting with that huge fire stick right now. I'm happy. I'm happy yeah. in the third row. I don't want to be any closer than right this. I'm feeling the heat. Can't imagine what it's being like up up there doing that kind of stuff. But is it's, that kind of the vibe? Is that kind of the vibe where yeah, the flame yeah, is look, the main star? I don't know that it's the main star. I think it's like it's the interaction between you and the fire that's the main star. Like it's not like, yeah, it's impressive and it's fire and what you're doing with it is outrageous and scary and dangerous. Yeah, that's that's so true. But I think the niche hold with fire and when I watch other fire performers and train with them is, like, just watching how a person manipulates and interacts with that flame and how they can, you know, control it to a certain point but also go with it. Like, I think it's really this love that you are getting drawn into watching between mm. the flame keeper and the flame itself. And yeah. that connection is what I dig. Like that's what I want to watch. That's what I end up by falling into is this connection with this flame on a stage. Yeah. Was, and this, this may be a bit of a deep dive here, but was there ever a point when you were coming up through the ranks of, of doing your, training in, in various dance related uh, activities and performances and producing and, and starting of schools. Was there ever a time for you in your personal life where you just went, I don't think I'm ever going to dance again. Like you were just completely in a bad place. You just shut everything off and you went, no, I never want to touch a pair of shoes. I never want to go on stage, get it out of my life. Was there ever a time for that where it just went completely downhill to the point that you recovered and you are a, you know, you are a star now. So this is, this is definitely a backtracking here, but was there ever a time for you that sort of went, that you were really second guessing whether or not you wanted to ever do anything dance related again because of where life was leading you? I think there was times where I, I pulled back and went, that's not what I need to be doing right at this very minute, but it was never a, 
I'm not doing dancing because I, I just never want to do it again. There was never yeah. that moment mm-hmm. that happened for me. It was always a, well, I need to, you know, put my focus over here for a little while. So that's just going to have to have a little rest over there. Like it was, there was never a moment in any of the times that I stopped and then picked it back up in a different sense mm-hmm. um, that I was like, I'm never getting on a stage again. Right. Okay. So in some weird way, even though, where situations in your life may or may not have been turning out the best, you always had that guiding light or that crutch of dancing and performing. Like you knew that, oh, if, if life's shitty, I can always rely on doing dance and performing. Definitely. Yeah. See, that's a really interesting perspective because I know that sometimes when performers and you and I would have read about it and I'm sure people out there listening would have heard about it where sometimes performers just go completely off the rails and they just don't, you don't ever see them in whatever field that they were doing. They just seemingly just go, I'm over it. I'm out. I'm done. And it's not till many years later where they come back and you go, yeah, this is the person I remember. And this is, this is their home. This is where they should be. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to know that someone of your uh, stature and caliber and talent um, has been able to, not be persuaded by life's difficult journeys, but to always know that, hey, if life's crappy, well, I can just go and escape to dance or I, I know I have a show coming up or I can just I can just forget about things when I've got this going on and it, you don't let it affect you as much as, say, the opposite way around. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that also stems on, like, why you're dancing or doing something creative in the first place. If you're doing it because you feel like you have to to fit in or conform or whatever, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. Right. Um, and I feel like, you know, as much as I d- dislike saying this, but, like, there's, there's kids that just get shoved into dancing and they're like, they'll enjoy it later, they'll thank me for it later. And that kid never likes dancing. They want to go and play soccer or, you know, go do gymnastics or swimming or some something that isn't that. Or maybe they don't want to do any of that at all. And that's okay too. But they're going to resent it. They're not going to like it. Yeah, they might get some good values out of it, better posture, this, that, the other. But they're the type of people that resent it because they're more being forced to be there or are there because they feel like they have to be there. Whereas, like, I'm an adult. I'm choosing to do this for for shits and giggles um, because I enjoy doing it and I enjoy sharing that stuff with other people and watching them enjoy doing it. Like mm. there is nothing more rewarding for me than helping someone find and navigate their own creative direction and putting that on stage and getting to share it with someone else. Like that, yeah. that is, that is the thing I love living for, um, helping them and watching them click and grow and also getting to share my stuff with them too. But like mm. teaching wise and, you know, the reasoning of why you're in a class or why you're learning and doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what it's all about for me. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching much like performing has that unique bottled experience where you go, oh man, I, I wish you could experience the sensation that I'm getting teaching you or I'm getting performing. Like I, you, you wish you could share that with people that haven't yet experienced it or may not be a part of that industry to go, this is what it's like. A question that I'd ask to, I really would like to ask you. And again, this isn't what I like to call a burial. I don't want, I, you don't have to. <laughs> Name names or, or go dun, after anyone dun, here. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The creative industries sometimes have their absolute peaks and they sometimes have their absolute trash. 
being in the creative field that you're in now and having the experiences you've had, not only in dance, but in the burlesque community, what is one thing in the industry where you went, I just wish this wasn't a thing? Like if there was one thing you could eliminate from the industry so that it just didn't exist, what would it be to help make it better? Um, I think social media playing as big a part as what it does in the creative outlets right. is a thing that as much as like we need it because that's our platform of communication in mm-hmm. 2020. Yeah. Um, Promotion but it also... It also creates these witch hunt moments of he said, she said, why is this a thing? And I like, I really hate that. Mm-hmm. I hate that, you know, like there's a, a platform that allows us to, to see this rabbit warren of cesspool nastiness happen every now and again. And it's not all the time. And it happens in every type of thing, like not even just creative stuff, but it allows so much cesspoolness as well as good for marketing and branding and getting connectivity with people that aren't in your immediate bubble. But it has that one side effect that that can also happen and it's quite horrible to watch. <laughs> yeah, and I agree because it, it is that one weird thing where creative industries rely so heavily, just like you said, rely so heavily on social media now, not only to connect with their audience in in terms of like a from a character perspective but also from a promotional aspect you know creating the events creating the ads sharing the posters getting people involved putting up ticket links everything that you need to do in order to promote and share those shows the other side of the coin is yeah you do have those moments where people might be people in the industry might be bickering with each other it's social media you can never take you can never hear people's words or how they phrase yeah, things no all the time. Tone or yeah, or emotion, or maybe you can see an emotion and it's not the right one that they should be portraying, perhaps. But yeah, like it takes that personalization out of that communication. Yeah, I wish that wasn't a thing in entertainment, especially those kinds of statuses and those kinds of situations that evolve out of it. And then I think the thing that makes it even worse than that is the process of screenshotting look what so-and-so said, look what so-and-so said. And it's yes. like, and that just creates this little cesspool of It's almost like putting up a wanted poster, like it's a witch yeah. burner. And you're like, I haven't done yeah. anything wrong. Look, she's melting in the sun. And it's like, yeah, it's 40 degrees. I mean, and fortunately it-, it doesn't seem to happen too much. I don't want to say that it's like this big thing that happens all the time in burlesque or creative industries, but it is a thing that does happen from time to time. The, when those scenarios happen, when there is that sort of witch hunt, those screenshots and those moments where everyone argues, it's like, oh, can this just not be a thing? Can we just go back exactly. to dancing and, yeah. and just performing, please? Because Let's go back to yesterday when that wasn't known about and that didn't yeah. happen. And, and the main, it just goes away and doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and the main thing should always be in any terms of performance, whether you're a, an A-plus rock band that's lasted 30 years or whether you're on the stage as a big time burlesque performer whatever your outlet whatever your platform is the main thing that should be the biggest concern is those people that come in with their money or their ticket in their hand wanting to see a show they don't give a shit about the fights backstage they don't want to know about the fights backstage they're here to support they're here to support the industry and ergo they're here to support you being a part of said industry and i think that's the part that people forget about when these situations happen they get so involved in that and they go oh yeah that's right there's people attending and it's almost it almost again like we've been saying this whole time it almost brings up that that glass wall where you sort of disconnect because you're so involved with i guess the he said she said backstage or the he said she said online that you go you kind of forget oh, i've got a show to do i totally would agree that 
in terms of entertainment, if that wasn't a thing, oh man, just be sunny days and you could just get back to entertaining people. Exactly. All right. Well, Tink, I really want to thank you for you to come on here, feel comfortable to to share your story, to share your journey from how the two-year-old ballet girl becomes this shot-taking, fire-twirling, tattooed Tinkerbell that's lighting up the stage. No pun intended. It's It's been a pleasure to know you and it's I'm very – knowing that the journey that you have, um, yeah, I'm very proud to hear of all your successes and accomplishments. It's just – it's you're doing – you're doing us proud. Aw, thank you. Goodbye. No. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> hey, before we, we go. Goodbye. Yeah. Before we go, though, I have to do the segments that we always do on this podcast, the first of which being a deep dive. Now, I'm going to ask you a selection of questions here that only you yourself can give your own unique perspective and answer on. So you ready for a deep dive? Fire away. What was a turning point in your life? How did it affect you? And if it was bad, how did you overcome it? Probably coming out of a serious relationship at 22, I had no idea who the fuck I was. Was that because they were changing your image or you just uh, were so... Not so much. I just hadn't lived my own life. So I didn't like... From 17 to 22, I was in what I thought was what you did. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I went to work, I had a boyfriend, I went home, we did the things together... We had like two groups of friends that we saw collectively and then that was it. And I didn't really have much for myself. Not that it was anything bad, but like the person that I am now compared to back then are two completely different people. And I'm so glad that, and this isn't anything mean, we separated because it didn't work nothing against him but I'm so glad that that happened when it did because it really allowed me the next decade to find who I was as a person and what I wanted to do with my life and own it for myself what would you say to yourself if you were just starting out now do the things go learn all of the things and do all of the things and then decide what you actually want to put on the stage and don't just put 20 bazillion things on the stage all at once. Find mm-hmm. what you want to do and do that one well and then do the next one. I think having 20,000 projects on the go at the same time is a little bit ambitious for a newbie. Fuck, I still do it now and I still <laughs> regret it. But, yeah, like learn all the things but present what you want to specialize in or like one thing at a time, one project at a time. Do you have a ritual or do you have a preparation? How do you psych yourself up before going on stage? Like what makes you transition from regular everyday Tink to Scarlet Tinkerbell? How do you, how do you do that switch? Mine is when I'm putting my makeup on and I think a lot of performers can relate to that is, you know, you go into a change room or you go into the bathroom or wherever you are, some random fucking toilet out the back of nowhere. And you're putting your face on, like, that's really an important part for me anyway. It's a really important part of creating your character that you're putting on stage for the show that night. You've given a lot of advice throughout the years, both as a teacher, as part of that sisterhood, uh, as a fellow performer and as a friend. But what is the best advice that you have ever received? If it doesn't make you happy, then don't do it. It works for everything, I swear. There's things that you get shitty about and you get frustrated about, right? And then you sit there and you're like, is it something that makes me happy? No. Okay, cool. Get the rid- get rid of it. Is it something that makes me happy? Yes. Okay, stick the fuck out with it. 
have a little break, go back to it and it'll be fine. I get frustrated with things quite easily. I'm not the most patient person in the world. But yeah, at the end of the day, you've got to you make that decision of whether the frustration and the hardness of learning something or doing something is worthwhile. Is it going to make you happy or is it not going to make you happy? If it's not, then do you really need it? How do you, of all the trials and tribulations that you've gone through, both professionally and personally, how do you define success? For me personally, I want to feel a sense of accomplishment of what I put on a stage or what I've created, not even just on a stage. It could be the community that I'm creating with the school. So I think like for me, success is achieving what I've set out to achieve. So going out there and creating something and making sure it's executed and done? Is yeah, that... That, that makes yeah. much more sense than my... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I get, I get what you're talking about. I know what you You've mean. had a lot of words from me. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I got what you mean. I picked it up and I, uh, yeah, I ran with it. I know what you mean. Thinking uh, of the thing, doing the thing and yeah. doing the thing and doing it well. There you go. Oh, that's much more clearer. All right. This is the part of the podcast now, which I like to call the Lipton Six. This is in tribute of James Lipton. He was an American writer, lyricist, actor, and the dean of the Actors Studio Drama School at Pace University in New York City, where he hosted and ran his TV show, Inside the Actors Studio from 1994-2018. So, in honor and tribute of him, I'm going to ask you his famous six questions that he would ask all his guests before wrapping up his interview. What is your favorite word? Fairy-tastical. What turns you on? Now, it can be in the way that you're thinking of, or it can be in a creative or an energetic aspect where you go, yes, this is awesome, I'm hyped up, I'm excited. That moment that you nail something that you've been working for for a while. You know, when it just clicks and it finally sinks in and it happens and you're like, I can't see why I didn't, why I couldn't get that before, but now I can, you can get it every time, that. What sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of, it's kind of an annoying sound too, but I actually love the sound of my two little dogs when they whine or whimper from the other side of the door when I get home because I know they're happy to see me. <laughs> Yeah. I, They've uh, missed me. They've really missed me. <laughs> you love me. You really love me. <laughs> it's unconditional. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> okay. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? So you're not doing real estate. You're not doing burlesque. You're not doing dancing. What would you like to attempt? There's not much call for it these days, but I've always been a bit of a science type. Um, okay. And I'd love to get into like compound chemistry. Right. And now for those playing the home game, what is compound chemistry? So it's like the people that make the specialized prescriptions. So like if you've got allergies and things like that, they'll take your prescription and make it in a way that you can still take the ingredient, the active ingredients that you need to be able to take. But it might be in like, you know, different capsules or the binding agents different to something that's like over the shelf neurofin type scenario. I've always loved chemistry and science. Growing up through high school, I had envisaged that I would go to uni and become some form of a doctor or pharmacist or something. And I fell into real estate instead. So I guess it's just one of those things that I guess if I was back then and maybe wasn't so into my creative side and didn't fall into this little real estate rabbit worrying, um, then I may have gone down that avenue and that still interests me. 
Scarlet Tink, the professor, would be uh, would Professor be Tinkerbell, PhD. That'd <laughs> be uh, interesting. Sorry, hey, maybe I am interested. No. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? But I know what he'd probably say. You're in the wrong fucking place. Get down there. <laughs> maybe, maybe like a here's here's your your room of activities with all my fiery treats and all the bad things that I can get up to. I don't really know. All right. So before we ride off into the sunset, we're going to hit that North Overdrive. We're going to slam on that pedal Vin Diesel style. We're going to drive towards that finish line. I'm going to hit you now with what I like to call the final four before we start plugging all your social medias where people can get in contact with you. So first of the final four, was there ever a point where you thought, hey, I don't know about this. This I don't think this is going to work. This This whole thing might not be for me. Every time that I eat something with cream in it. <laughs> Okay, that's that's different to what I've had on here. Well, I'm like I'm lactose intolerant, so I still eat it or drink it or whatever. But yeah, it doesn't always end up that 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 great. Uh, say no more. Right? Getting a drift. <laughs> Getting a drift. Say no more. Have you ever stopped and thought, man, how the hell did I get here? Oh, because Google Google Maps has me covered these days. It doesn't matter where I end up; it always manages to get me home. <laughs> But yeah, no, I had that experience probably in the biggest way that I've had it when I went to Perth Fringe Festival for the first time. So 2019 Perth Fringe after being asked to do some backup fire stuff for Aurora Galore in her Glamorous Widows tour. Um, I've idolised Aurora Galore for being the eccentric weirdo and fire manipulator that she is in the burlesque world for a number of years probably even before I was in burlesque because she was just a, a groovy babe that I followed on Instagram and wanted to know more about. And I got to work alongside her. I mean, I remember performing on a packed out stage at the Teatro right alongside her, taking a bow going, yeah, this, this is fucking rad. How the fuck am I here? Going back to those first moments, did you ever think that this is where you would be? Like this is where you're at now with your character, having all these experiences, having all these journeys. Did you ever stop and think at any time this is where you would be? Not at all. Yeah? Not at all. I walked into each and every one of those experiences just taking it with a grain of salt and just thinking, well, this is an experience I'm going to have today. I don't know whether I'm going to like it or whether I'm not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every, every time I go and do something new, I approach it with the same thing. And, you know, a lot of things I love doing. So I learn a lot of things. (laughs) Currently, what is your proudest moment or achievement? I think was actually taking a show to Perth Fringe. Right. Um, I've always wanted to, well, two, two reasons. I've never produced at a Fringe festival before. So it was, you know, a big performer life bucket list tick. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was also something that was a collaboration that I had wanted to do for quite some time. I really wanted to play on the femme representation within the sideshow community. And being able to collate performers that really represent that in a strong way and put them in a festival on a stage and have a really good tour there, it was just really overwhelmingly heartwarming. You're a social media fairy. Where can people get in touch with you? They can get me on Instagram or Facebook at Scarlet Tinkerbell. Um, can grab me on email with that at live.com.au 
and our school is called the Vaudeville Consortium, which you also can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Speaking of connecting, it's been great to connect with you again. I really appreciate you taking the time out of the hectic, crazy, busy schedule that I know that Burlesque does provide. Even at the, at the calmest of times, it still gets a bit hectic. So I appreciate the time you put aside for me to come on here today to speak to me and one day have a fruit tinkle shot again. I'm not going to let it go. Yes, fruit tinkles. <laughs> All right, Scarlet Tinkerbell, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming aboard. Thanks so and much for having me. Yeah, I wish you all the best. You too, Mania. I'll talk to you soon. All right, there you have it, folks. That was Scarlet Tinkerbell. Thank you very much, Scarlet, again for coming aboard LMBC Podcast. And hey, if you haven't done so already, please follow Little Man Big Conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for being here, and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>